Hello, and welcome to Stonebridge's Good Friday podcast worship. Good Friday is a part of Holy Week. Good Friday celebrates the day that Jesus went to the cross and that Jesus gave his life for us. On Good Friday, it's customary for Christians to pause and to reflect on the cross. Because we can't truly understand resurrection until we understand the cross. We can't understand the triumph of God, the victory of God over death, without first pausing to look at the cross and to reflect on what it was that God overcame. So we invite you to reflect on the cross with us now. Reflect on our Lord Jesus and on his sacrifice. John chapter 19, verses 31 through 37. Since it was the day of preparation, the Jews did not want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, especially because the Sabbath was a day of great solemnity. So they asked Pilate to have the legs of the crucified men broken and the bodies removed. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified so that you also may believe. His testimony is true, and he knows that he tells the truth. These things occurred so that the scripture might be fulfilled. None of his bones shall be broken. And again, another passage of scripture says, They will look on the one whom they have pierced. This is the word of the Lord. They shall look upon the one whom they have pierced. John, the writer of this gospel, adds that line there at the end of this account of Jesus' death. They shall look upon the one whom they have pierced. It's an Old Testament reference. It's a prophecy from the book of Zechariah, one of what is called the minor prophets in the Old Testament. And there was a time in my life when I would read these Old Testament prophecies in the Gospels, in the accounts of Jesus' death specifically, and view them as boxes to be checked off. That these were basically just markers that could let us know who Jesus was, and we could just check them off and never look at the substance, the content of which prophecies were being used. They shall look upon the one whom they have pierced. It's interesting that so many of us read these prophecies in that way, where they're just boxes to be checked off, because that is not how the gospel writers use them. When John is including this line from Zechariah, he doesn't just want it to be a box that we check off. When the New Testament writers use Old Testament quotations, they want their readers to focus on the content to look at this line that is here. They shall look upon the one whom they have pierced. We're meant to pause, to reflect on it. This line, it comes from the book of Zechariah, as I said. It comes from Zechariah 12.10. And what Zechariah the prophet says on behalf of God is, And I will pour out a spirit of compassion and supplication on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So that, when they look on the one whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. 
It's a pretty perfect description of Good Friday. As we look upon Jesus. But I can't help but ask myself the question, when John uses this prophecy, when he places it here in this account of Jesus' death, who is the they that John is intending? They shall look upon the one whom they have pierced. Who is the they? Back in Zechariah, when this prophecy was originally uttered, the they there is the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They're the ones who will turn around and look upon the one whom they have pierced. But in John's time, when Jesus is there on the cross, the house of David no longer is in power. So who is the they? Is John trying to say that the they are the Jewish leaders? Is that who the they is there? Or is he trying to say it's the Roman government? Those don't really make too much sense, actually. Because later on, John will include himself in this passage as one of those who was looking upon the cross. So he can't just be throwing the blame onto Jewish leaders or the Roman government. He includes himself as one of the they. There's also the possibility that John is taking this more literally. That when he says, they shall look upon the one whom they have pierced, it means the Roman soldier there who literally was the one who pierced Jesus. There's a Roman soldier who lifts up and cuts Jesus' side. But that doesn't really make sense because John never operates at a strictly literal level. So the they there, it can't just be the Roman soldier. So I've said, though, maybe the they that John is talking about is himself, is the people who are standing there in that time period, the ones who would be testifying to this account, would be testifying to Jesus being there on the cross. But I don't think that exactly gets it either. They shall look upon the one whom they have pierced. John pulls us into that as well. You can see that he takes this prophecy and he's changing who the they are. He's expanding it to include not just the inhabitants of Jerusalem, not just the house of David. And it's not just the Jewish leaders. It's not just the Roman soldier. It's not just him as he's standing there watching this, the writer of the Gospel of John. They shall look upon the one whom they have pierced. It's us as well. The people to whom John is testifying. The people who can attest to the truth of this testimony. We are included there. We are some of those who pierced Jesus. We are the they also. So I think John when he wants us to look upon the one whom we have pierced. When that line is there, he wants us to identify ourselves there and to look at the cross and to see our guilt, to see our sin, to see our shame, to see our grief. We shall look upon the one whom we have pierced. 
But we can't stop there. As we look upon the one whom we have pierced, we can't just stop with our guilt. John gives us another detail here. He says that as Jesus is pierced, blood and water flow out. Blood and water come out of this wound. Remember, John doesn't just throw details out there randomly, and John is never working at strictly a literal meaning. There's always something more, something deeper. When Jesus is pierced, blood and water pour out, and John wants us to look upon the one whom we have pierced. Now, the blood, it's obvious what that is. When there's a wound, blood will flow out. It represents Jesus' sacrifice. But the water is an unusual detail. A lot of writers, a lot of commentators, a lot of Christians over the years, they've reflected and tried to show how water can come out of the wound of a dead person. And maybe that is true, but that's not the reason why John is telling us this detail. John isn't pointing us to the water, isn't drawing our eyes to look upon the one whom we have pierced just to give us a medical fact of something that could happen. No, when John says they shall look upon the one whom they have pierced, I don't think he wants us to just look, but he also wants us to hear. He wants us to listen and to remember back to the conversation Jesus had with the woman at the well, where they're talking about living water and how Jesus can offer living water to those who are thirsty so they will never thirst again. John wants us to hear when Jesus is there at a festival proclaiming that he has living water and that anyone who is thirsty can come to him. There on the cross, as we look upon the one whom we have pierced, we see the blood, we see the sacrifice, but we also see the living water flowing forth from our Lord. They shall look upon the one whom they have pierced. Look to the cross, friends. But when you look to the cross, see guilt, but also see life. When you look to the cross, see blood, but see water as well. And when you look to the cross, gaze upon the cross, reflect upon it, but also see resurrection that will come a few days later. They shall look upon the one whom they have pierced. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Savior, I come, quiet my soul, remember, redemption's hill, where your blood was spilled, for my ransom, everything I once held dear, I count it all as 
Lead me to the cross where your love poured out. Bring me to my knees, Lord, I lay me down. Rid me of myself, I belong to you. Oh, lead me. Lead me to the cross. Tempted and tried Human The word became flesh For my sin and death Now you're risen Everything I once held dear I count it all Lost, lead me to the cross where your love poured out. Bring me to my knees, Lord, I lay me down. Rid me of myself, I belong to you. Oh, lead me. turns his face away 
has wounds which mar the chosen one. Bring many sons to glory. How deep the Father's love. How deep the Father's love for us. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice. Call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. How deep the Father's love, how deep the Father's love Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give and answer, but this I know with all my paid my ransom how deep the father's love how deep the father's love how deep Father's love, how deep the Father's love, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all men.